Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by two-time Super Bowl champion and 12-year veteran of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ike Taylor. And today we're joined by CBS Sports Analyst, Bryant McFadden. Bryant, also a two-time Super Bowl champion in his own right and a seven-year veteran of the NFL. Bryant, welcome aboard. And I just want to say this. Ike and I have talked about this quite a bit. Your Steelers teammates are, you're like media moguls in the industry now in your post-playing careers. Uh, no question. Uh, the thing about a lot of the guys that we all play with that are currently doing something in the media, we had these same type of discussions while we were playing. Um, you know, in between our breaks, between meetings, or practice breaks and things like that, we will always get involved in sports-related topics, and we're heated. I mean, I, you know, myself, Ryan Clark, Larry Foote, I mean, the list can go on and on with some of the heated debates that we used to have. And it wasn't just solely about football. One thing about all my teammates in Pittsburgh, and I can attest to this, we all watch sports. You know, we all was very, very much involved in sports, and we love uh, the craft and the dedication that we saw from players and teams. So it was always heated debates that was must-see TV at that time. Yeah, second-round draft pick from Florida State. Brian McFadden, two-time Super Bowl champion. That's already been established. You can catch BMAC on CBS Sports. All he do is speak facts, talk the truth, and be himself. Uh, but BMAC, I just want to get into, like, so we always talk about what we want to do post-career. And like you said before, between me, you, Ron Clark, Larry Foote, you can go to James Ferry, you can go to even Tyrone Carter. Tyrone Bettis. You can just go down the line with a lot of guys, even Ramon Foster getting into it. He kind of gradually paving the way to get himself a post-football. Uh, but it was heated discussions. And we talked about it, but we never knew this was coming into fruition. I want the viewers to kind of get a glimpse. You said something that kind of caught my attention earlier on all sports and how important not knowing everything but just a little bit about all sports telling into what we think we are sometimes as far as like scouts and scouting each other, whether you're a free agent or a draft pick. Yeah, I think the most important thing when you're a sports fan is being able to understand and know what quality play is. And, you know, for me, you know, growing up, football was always my go-to. And granted, I played basketball, played football, you know, I ran track, played a little bit of baseball, but football was always my go-to. And football is the ultimate team sport. And I think for us, being the fans of sports, you know, NBA basketball, college basketball, you know, and, and watching baseball. And even myself, you know, being there in Pittsburgh, we all became Penguins fans. You know what I mean? And I know for, for me personally, like, I can't, I don't know about you. I don't want to speak out for you, but I never played hockey. I never even skated before. My son played hockey for one year, and all them little kids did was pass me up, and they iffed at me, <laughs> and they had me fall. And I said, man, I'm going to do this one lap, and that's it, man. I'm getting off these skates. Yeah, you got, you got off Ike before there was any footage of any of this, I assume. Oh, 100%. Right. My son was like five years old. <laughs> that would have been, been must-see TV to see Ike on, on, in some skates on the ice. But, you know, for <laughs> us, you know, 
being, you know, Pirates fans because of our Pittsburgh ties and, of course, you know, the Penguins, you know, we learn to learn more about the sport. And at the end of the day, it's about team. It's about team camaraderie, you know, being able to trust your brother who's playing next to you, who's skating next to you, who's in the lineup next to you. And that's something that we all had an opportunity to talk about and understand, understood what it meant to have team effort and being successful. So for us in Pittsburgh, man, in the locker room, everything we did, we talked about sports, but it was competitive. If I was talking to Ike about a debate, Mark, I had to outbeat Ike. I had to make sure whoever's listening to us felt and they feel how I felt when we were done talking. And when we used to go shooting, I remember we used to have the, the shuffleboard in the locker room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a competition. Whoever I was going against in shuffleboard had to beat vice versa. We had team sports. We had the basketball, the trash can, Mark, where we would ball up trash and we would shoot the ball of trash in the trash can. And, and, and that was a competition. We had the pool table and then the card game. So everything we did in Pittsburgh, I think that was actually a, a big time part in the success was it was a competition. But we all believed in each other. But at the end of the day, we wanted to compete. And we always shared those same aspirations. Who was king of the court and shuffleboard in the Steelers' locker room? Man, Ike Taylor was tough. <laughs> I, I, hey, Ike was really tough. You know who was real tough, dude? Who had a nice touch? Big Ben. Well, Big me, ben me, and Big a... ben, me and Big Ben was team champions in that shuffleboard. That's what we did. Y'all forgot I had that shuffleboard at, at that big mansion. Y'all call that big mansion. Yeah. Scarface and King Point. I had that shuffleboard <laughs> at the house. <laughs> And Orlando, man, he put that whole nice thing together. I never really played the show, even busted, but I never got on it. But we had in Pittsburgh, man, we had some bashes. He needed to have a nice touch, but I was real smooth too. I was real smooth on that shuffleboard. Bryant, free agency is less than two weeks away. And after your rookie deal with the Steelers, you decided to sign a contract with the Arizona Cardinals. It was a two year deal. You only stayed there for one year, and then you got traded back to the Steelers. What advice would you give to a free agent? who will become an unrestricted free agent here later this month? The most important thing when it comes to being able to hit the free agent market is trying to capitalize on every dollar that's available. Um, and that's a top priority, but also fit should be right there when it comes to money, in my opinion. And, you know, sometimes you see a lot of guys move for more money and you can't knock them because you want to capitalize, like I said, on every dollar that's out there for you. But you want to make sure you go into an ideal fit that you can continue to earn quality revenue. Being on a quality team, the fit is what fits you best. You're able to be successful. You're able to go out and continue to make more money in the long run. So, you know, for me, it was more about the fit, but then, you know, it was about feeling like you're appreciated. And sometimes when it comes to players, if you're not getting the type of money that you would like to get, you don't feel like you're being appreciated especially if it's not coming from the team that draft you. You know, if you're a homegrown player, you know, you would like to see that team go out and outbid any other team because they know your value, know your worth. But sometimes the financial means might not warrant them to be able to do so. So money is important, but the fit is right there. And I'm not telling you if a team is offering you 10 more million than your home team to not take that. You know, it's, that's hard to say no to, but make sure that if there's not a big difference in the money, you need to go into an ideal situation where they can capitalize on your talent. They know exactly what you do well, and I think it will work itself out for the player as well. BMAC, 2020 draft, regardless on what the position is, who is your sleeper coming up? Mm. Sleeper? 
This is a talented, talented draft. Uh, my sleeper, I think a guy that could, and I know some people might be like, but he's biased when he's make this when he make this pick. But I think a guy that could be a first year starter that might not be a top 15, a top 25 selection, depending on what happens at this position, is Cam Akers. Had a nice weekend last weekend at the combine, ran 447 over 210 pounds. He has that Dalvin Cook-ish in his game, but didn't provide the, the explosive plays that Dalvin provided at Florida State. Granted, he played behind a subpar offensive line, and that offensive line was bad, but yet he said he put up big time numbers. The reason why I think Dalvin Cook could be a sleeper, right, Mark, is because he might not be the first or the second or even the third running back to come off the board. I believe he shouldn't go no less than – he shouldn't be no less than the third running back to come off the board, but he might not. But he's a guy that could be a late first-rounder, early second-rounder that could be a, a proven starter eventually in his rookie year because he's a three-down running back. He's a guy that can run the football well in between the trenches in, – in the trenches. He catches the ball well out of the backfield. And he's got a liability when it comes to pass pro. And, like, you know how important it is for running backs to be able to block and passing opportunities because linebackers, when they see blood in the water, they're going to come right down the teeth and try to put pressure on the quarterback through the running back. Cam is a guy that can do it all. He's a proven football player. I think he's going to really open a lot of eyes. He did so just past weekend at the combine, but you turn this tape, you got hot tape, and he's a guy that could be a first-year starter midway through his rookie campaign, especially going into the right situation. In living in Florida, I know that Florida State, their offensive line really struggled these last four years. DeAndre Francois, the quarterback, damn near got killed several times just because they could not protect him and keep him healthy many times. I don't know if you saw this graphic that the NFL Network put together comparing Akers and Dalvin Cook to Florida State products. Both are 5'10". Akers outweighs Cook by about 7 pounds, 217, 210. Akers had a better 40 at 4.47. Cook ran 4.49. Also had a higher vertical, 35.5 compared to 30.5 to Cook. So there are some similarities between the two Florida State running backs there. Yeah, no question. Now, the difference, I would say, Mark and Ike, and you can turn the tape and see this. Cam Akers plays fast, but when Dabin Cook was at Florida State, his fast was a different level. I mean, Dabin Cook, he ran, you said, Mark, 4.49. He plays faster than a 4-4-9, and we currently see that on Sundays for the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, when Davin Cook gets through a line of scrimmage, you're holding your breath because at any given time, he can take it the length of the football field. You see with Davin Cook as a defender, when guys start getting out the screen, you see how fast they are. When guys start fading out, you really see it's a difference between 40 speed because you pretty much train for 40 speed and football speed. A lot of guys can train and run fast for 40 speed, a lot of guys can run fast with a lot of equipment, though. And that's what Dalvin Cook can do. You put the helmet and the shoulder pads and the leg pads and the cleats on him, he running faster than everybody else, even though he ran slower than Cam. Can you guys elaborate that on that a little bit more? Just because I see some of the top speeds every single year, and especially if you look at, say, the receiver position. And a lot of the top guys who have run some of the best times in – the 40-yard dash, it doesn't translate to the NFL to where if you look at the fastest 40-yard dash times over the last 5, 10 years, it's not the guys that consistently are all pro receivers or pro bowl receivers. I think as a fan, now for me, I, we played the game, so we got a different eye when it comes to seeing if a guy is football fast and he can make plays. You know what I mean? So for us, when you watch college football, Mark, you instantly know who can ball. 
you instantly know who uh, this is a guy that can go out and ball. He's not a guy that can do well at the combine in shorts. So some of the wide receivers that we saw this past year and we saw at the combine, they all got hot take. I mean, Judy from Alabama, I love. I think Judy's the best wide receiver in the game coming out into this upcoming draft. And the reason why I feel that way, he has hot tape and he's a football player. He's a baller. C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma, he's another baller. He might not be as fast as Judy, but he's a baller. Henry Ruggs, I mean, Henry Ruggs is the Bugatti of the group. I mean, he's one of the fastest guys in the combine, but he also has hot tape. So when you look at some of the fast 40s, Mark, that you mentioned, and not seeing these guys, trans, not seeing that impact translate in football, I think we saw that from them on the collegiate film. You know, you see guys that might run fast, and you're like, where, where was this kid at in college? What, what did he do? You turn on his tape, he was inconsistent, he's off fast, not making impactful plays. You shouldn't be surprised to not see impactful plays when he gets to the next level. But this wide receiver class that we just saw in Indy, Chase Claypool, the, the kid from Notre Dame, another talented player. Man, all of these, all these kids pretty much have hot tape, so I wouldn't be surprised to see you guys make big-time impacts during their rookie campaign. I really believe for receivers to really do well in the NFL, they got to go to the right system and offense coordinator. The offense coordinator got to understand how to use. I'm looking at rugs. How I'm looking at rugs is how I'm looking at Julian Edelman in that New England system. You know, a, a guy who can work in the slot, I'm not going to ask him to do too much. Basically, I'm just waiting on him. You know, I'm waiting on him. If you see a linebacker sitting in the inside, he's going to go to the outside. If you see a safety sitting high, he's going to stop blowing his zones. For Judy, Judy a little bit different. I think Judy can pretty much sitting in any kind of position. That's just because of his game speed. He runs fast and he plays fast, B-Mac. We saw that consistent with Judy. CC, CC, another guy. CC kind of remind me of a more of a faster version of a Brandon Marshall. He's not going to wow you with the combine factors running the 40 fast, but every time you pop on the tape at Oklahoma, B-Mac, man, he getting past DBs. So he's another one of those guys that we've been talking about, Mac, and Mark, when it comes down to 40s, it looked good for some people. Some people raise a lot of stock depending on your position. But all you got to do is pop in the tape. And if you just pop in the tape on CC, all CC been doing his college career is getting behind defenders. Yeah, and Justin Jefferson is another name. We know what he put up at LSU, uh, the national champions. But Justin ran 4-4, but he also has hot tape to go along with his outstanding 40 time and the other numbers he did to combine. So Justin Jefferson is another name that could be a nice sleeper. I know you asked that question earlier about sleepers, but in the wide receiver position, the unit, they talented, but I, I, I really like Justin Jefferson. I think Justin Jefferson might have the best body control. Like he can run, he can run every route in the route tree. I don't know if you agree with me, Mac, but that's how I feel about Justin. I think, Mike Urban said something a couple of weeks ago, like, other than a few guys, a few guys mean that other than a few receivers in the NFL with fast 40s, usually the Hall of Famers don't run fast in a 40. And the reason why they become Hall of Famers is because they can run every route in a route tree, except for Randy Moss, probably exception to be a Calvin Johnson. And here come another guy, if he can stay healthy, Cheetah, Tyreek Hill. If he can stay healthy, he'll probably wind up getting in the those guys ran fast 40s and they play fast. But usually for the most part, your Jerry Rice, your Michael Irvins, your Steve Smith, juniors or seniors, um, those guys, they don't really run. T.O. ran fast coming out. And you see he's still running fast, running a 4-3 or a 
at the age of uh, 40 something. But at the same time, man, it's just that body control. And I agree, Justin Jefferson from LSU, to me, he probably got the best body control out of everybody. And I would throw, I don't know if you mentioned him, Ike, in your list, Michael Thomas of the Saints in that group too. Correct, correct. Michael Thomas, he's not a guy that's going to wow you with speed, but he's always going to be open. And for those big guys, it's more quickness coming out they step. You know, once they, once they put their foot in the ground, they either step ahead of you. It's not really beating you deep. They just know how to get open. They know how to shield their body. Bryant, let's go to your rookie year in the NFL. Ike, you've told me this story a few times. Brian, is it true you pleaded with defensive coordinator Dick LeBeau and even cried on the sidelines for wanting to get in the game? Uh, yeah, that's, that's true. That's a fact. Uh, that was a Cincinnati playoff game. And uh, we, we, we all remember going into that ball game. If you Pittsburgh Steelers fans remember, you should remember you diehard fans. The, the Cincinnati Bengals, the last time we played them in 2005, they actually beat us in Heinz Field. It was a horrible loss. And I think we were in a losing streak at that time. We were playing pretty good football. They beat us. And that's when uh, TJ Hushnazada ended up, you know, cleaning his, cleaning his cleats with a terrible towel. Now, for us, you know, that was personal. You know, a lot of other fans, outsiders that were not connected with the program, the organization didn't understand how important that terrible towel was to us and the disrespect he showed in cleaning his cleats with that. So fast forward going into the first round of playoffs, the Cincinnati Bengals won the division. We traveled six seed. We barely get into the playoffs. We traveled to Cincinnati. Early in the ball game, Kimo Van Offlin uh, injured Carson Palmer. A mistake. He didn't do it on purpose. Everybody in the stadium going crazy. They felt like he did it on purpose, like it, it was purposely done. They're cussing us out. And later in that drive, I think in that play, Chris Henry caught a deep pass when Carson got injured. In comes John Kitna, and now the intensity is all-time high. So at that time, it was more generic football. First and 10, second down, you usually saw regular personnel. You didn't get nickel, and I was a nickel guy. So the intensity is going crazy, and I just started seeing I cussing people out. I just started seeing Joey Porter cussing people out, Larry Foote cussing people out. They're just going at it. It was like the ultimate opportunity to be involved in a bar fight and just waiting for your opportunity to go hit somebody. <laughs> But for me, I wasn't involved in the ball fight at the time. But I wanted to go hit somebody because I saw my brothers out there, guys that I looked up to, they were ready to go to war. So I felt like I was in a foxhole waiting for somebody to come tell me it's time to go to war. And at the time, I'm like, Coach Devo, please, can you call somebody from nickel? Please, I want to go out here. Man, listen, I, Mark, I wanted to go out there and just hit the first person I saw in the wrong color in the mouth for no reason. I didn't need a reason to go hit you in the mouth. I just wanted to go hit you in the mouth because my brothers were mad at you. They could have been right. They could have been wrong. At that time, it didn't matter. I wanted to go to battle with these guys because they were just – Then I wanted to get in a bar fight. I don't know if you ever wanted to be involved in a bar fight. I wanted to go get in a bar fight, and I felt like we couldn't lose. And hang on. Let me interject, Ike, and I'll let you hop in here. Nickel package for any of the listeners is when you have five defensive backs on the field typically – team will take out a linebacker and bring in another defensive back to match up with the receivers. Ike, so you're on the field during this. You look right. over on the sidelines. What's going through your mind? Nah, it's, it's when you see, when you see a, another grown man itching, chopping at the bit, damn near tearing up wanting to get on the field, 
and he really – and it's out of his control because he got to wait on a defense coordinator, which was Dick LeBoy at the time, to call a certain pack for him to get on the field. To see the intensity, to see the admiration, to see it was us against the world at that particular time, it was like, dang, this is real. <laughs> this is real. So – and B-Mac won nothing but a pump. That was his rookie year. That was Brian McFadden rookie year. So, man, this pump really won't get on the field right now in all this heat. And usually people don't want – they don't want to come to this heat. It's like Mac trying to get on the field with all this heat. Hey, Coach, man, why don't you go out and get that nickel package, bro? We got another <laughs> – we got another dog sitting and waiting. But that's the kind of team it was, Mark. Like – and we had Tyrone Carter on the, on the show a couple of weeks oh, ago. Man. And we talked, and when I say brotherhood, and when I say, when I say we got after each other, I'm talking about we got after each other. We got after each other. But we knew we wouldn't cause each other harm. We just wanted the best for each other. So that constructive criticism wasn't nothing but the truth. Wasn't nothing but the truth. But at that time and moment when we played Cincinnati, Carson got hurt and Kitten came in. It turned into – people turned into people they're usually not. So I, I like to make that expression. Don't wake the Hulk up, you know. And everybody on that defensive side, the Hulk came out. The Hulk came out. So it was a fun game. Hey, Ike, I know, I know we got to keep it PG. And Mark, uh, you never really seen the Ike we used to see on the football field. But see, one thing about Ike, and I noticed this early in my rookie year, like Mark, during pregame warmups, you know, we used to have, we had a relaxed tight line. It wasn't for me, it wasn't like a formation where you just got to stretch and do X, Y, and Z. We used to do our own thing. You know, we'd be, Veron Haynes would be dancing, Joey Porter showing his abs, he, he bounced up and down. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got a few guys dancing. And here come Ike. I just looking to the opposing team side and he's just looking at somebody to get in the altercation with verbally for no reason. And at my time, I was at, at, at that time for me, I'm like, what, what's wrong with Ike? Why Ike is like, he just, he just looking for somebody to get in a verbal altercation for no reason. And he instantly, he cussing them out. So that was the person <laughs> that he wanted to go to battle with against during that game. And it just transitioned to the, in, into four quarters of play. So for us, it was like, well, I got a problem with this dude or Joey got a problem with this dude. We all got a problem with this dude. And Mark, you remember during the Super Bowl, Joey had a problem with Jeremy Stevenson. So we all had a problem with Jeremy Stevenson. We didn't even know him. We didn't know what the beef was between him and Joey, but <laughs> if Joey had a problem with you, we got a problem with you too, and it's time to go get it. This was also in like 2005, 2006. So you're talking pre-social media, pre-Twitter and everything before any of the fans can really know oh, what man. this is about. There just wasn't as much access to media coverage. I mean, yes, you've got... TV and newspapers, but it's not like you could just hop on social media and clearly see what's going on. Hey, Mark, we was rock stars. Thank goodness. We, we, we was yeah. rock stars, Mark. All this tour <laughs> traveling in the off season, like all the tour bus traveling, we was doing this in 2005. Like everybody pitched in for a tour bus. Hey, bro, where your camp at? My camp in Tallahassee. Hey, Mac, where your camp at? My camp in Rock Hill. Ike, where your camp at? My camp in New Orleans. TC, 
where your camp at? I'm gonna do something in Minnesota. Shay, where your camp at? It's in Mississippi, Alabama. We all toured to each other's city, did camps for each other, football camps, and lived. We lived. That's all Man. I can say. Hey, we I live. Hey, so hey. <laughs> So my rookie year, it was like no other rookie year, man. Listen, first of all, we won the Super Bowl, which is the biggest thing. But my rookie year, the way how we travel. So for me, I'm a South Florida kid. I go to Florida State. I go to Pittsburgh and hang with these boys who was best. I mean, we're doing things that I ain't never think I would do before in my life at that time. We on private jets. We flying different places. Or we all get on the charter. We go to New York. So Mark, one time, so rookie there for me, we used to go to New York all the time. And at that time, we're doing that losing streak. I think New York was the reason why we were losing because we were always in New York, Atlantic City, Atlanta, Miami, Vegas. <laughs> but rookie trip, I had to take all the DBs to New York, right? So instead of it just being the DBs the entirety, instantly, we get to New York. I mean, boys ready to hit the streets live. <laughs> so one thing about us, Mark, when we travel, we travel with nothing. We might yep. have a little a little knapsack or a book bag on with your with your phone charger and, and some cash and that's it. So we gotta go to the city, go get clothes. You gotta go get underwear, you ain't got no toothpaste, you ain't got no thunder shirt, you ain't got no going out clothes. And the thing is, Mark, get this, whatever we purchase in that city, we ain't got no luggage. So nine times out of ten, we're gonna leave it in the hotel room. So whenever it's time to go, whatever I just bought. I'm just leaving in the hotel room for the maid. <laughs> I ain't got no suitcase. So at that time, I used to see the older guys doing it. So I was like, well, heck, they ain't got no suitcase. I ain't got no suitcase. But <laughs> we go to New York, man, we hit. That's when Sean John had his store. Hey, you remember, you remember Sean John? We used to always go to Sean John. Justice. And, and get the gear from Sean John at that time. Uh, yeah, we did. And then we used to go to Justice, too. We used to go to Justice. And Mark, see, the thing about us, when the Steelers used to travel, we'd be about 18, 20 deep. So we go into a restaurant. We go into a club. We taking over. We go, we yep. go into the club, we taking our shirts off while you see the big back and jewelry on. That's it. <laughs> and we just have a whole side of the club just bumping, bumping. So I remember Tuesday, we were supposed to fly out Tuesday because it was a winter storm coming. And we had Wednesday practice. So at that, you know, for me, I was always the guy that never drunk. Never, I never, I wasn't a drinker. So I remember the boys like, hey, Matt, when we got back to the W, like, man, Matt, make sure you wake everybody up. So we got to we gotta catch this plane before this winter storm come. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, man, I'm nervous because I'm the only rookie on the trip. So I'm like, man, I might get cut if I don't make it back to Wednesday. I ain't go to sleep. So I'm knocking <laughs> on all the boys. I'm knocking on all the boys' doors, right? I'm knocking on everybody's door. Hope, wake up. All right, wake up. Peasy, wake up. I'm knocking on everybody's door. So mind you, I go to knock on Big Hamp, though. Casey Hampton. I, I ain't get no answer. I said, dang. So I go call security. I said, security, security my, my teammate in the room, can you open the door for him? Big Casey Hampton. The camp used to party hard, boy. Oh, yeah. So no, he wouldn't answer the door. So what happened when the security man opened the door, I go in. I don't see that. I just saw clothes everywhere. I said, somebody must have robbed him. Man, I looked. Hemp laid out on the bed, man. I thought he had money and everything and just left him for dead. I said, oh, <laughs> shoot, dead. 
So I'm like, man, how am I going to tell the boys I'm dead? <laughs> Hemp wakes up and say, Matt, don't leave me. I'm dead drunk, man, dead to the world, man. The dead cock is on the bed, man, really, man. And the thing is, get to the airport, because we couldn't, we couldn't catch no cab. And that's when people, hey, you remember Potsy back to Pittsburgh, right? they had to catch a private driver that drives them from New York all the way back to Pittsburgh. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Sure did. <laughs> sure did. I'm Googling how far that, how long does that take? Like About five hours, five, six hours. This is a six-hour drive. I just Google in, in, this. In, in the snow. This was the snow, though. <laughs> so it probably took long. I don't know. Them boys. Yeah, them boys had to take a private drive. And this is like before Uber and everything. So you'd imagine oh, that's and quite a bit of money. Yeah, it'd probably be better. Peasy left his peacoat, too. That peacoat. <laughs> I remember Peasy was mad. Peasy was mad about that peacoat he left in New York. <laughs> Hey, we, hey, to this day, I still travel light. Man, listen, if, if Uber was, uh, no, I'm sorry, if uh, Instagram and all that was, oh. and my boys, they travel with no suitcases, man. No socks, man, we no changing drawers. Been so I'm trying to figure out like, what, what, what y'all gonna do. I have to credit you as a rookie yeah, trying to see what the time. veterans are doing too, in terms of, you know, learning to see how, how they do things. So I certainly understand where it's like, well, if they don't have anything, I don't need anything. Man, Mark, it can't be. We can't be on a plane with eighteen guys. I'm the one with a suit, a suitcase. That don't even make any sense. <laughs> they gonna look at me. I had my my, my knapsack, my, my book bag. You know, I had my little. That's why I had my deodorant and my book bag. <laughs> but I had no, I had no toothbrush. I had none of that. When we go there and we go straight to the store and we go shopping. So then I'm like, well, dang, whatever I buy, how I'm gonna take back to Pittsburgh? Like, man, just leave it. <laughs> All the Air Force Ones, I listen during that that year. I never bought so many Air Force Ones that I only wore once and just left in the hotel. <laughs> that was when the uh, the Nelly and Murphy Lee song came out too. Man, man listen, man, listen, we were rock stars, man. I'm trying to, hey, Mark, rock we used song. to be in the club and see, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I infatuated with his abs. I ain't never <laughs> see a guy tattoo abs on his abs. I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> Why he tattooed abs on abs, <laughs> but I can tattoo with his abs. So, <laughs> you know, anytime we used to go in the club and, and we take our shirts off, I was quick to take his shirts off because he wanted to show everybody his abs game anyway. But he had tattoos <laughs> of abs on abs. So we saw that's that's why I did the two Mark shirts off. It's only right that I take my shirts off too. <laughs> I joked with Ike about this several weeks ago. It sounds like you guys pulled the J.R. Smith well before J.R. Smith oh. did during. Man, easy. E easy. Hey, Mark, Mark, like, it's good and it's, it's good. Easy 100 million followers. Easy. We would have had easy 100 million. Easy. Easy. Easy 100 million followers. Easy. Mark, we were some rock stars, Mark. I mean, the way how we did it, and we did everything together. It wasn't like cool. we had a few guys here or there. We did everything. Whatever city we went to, their strength in numbers. And we used to show that all the time. We go to Miami, we together. We go to Atlanta, we go to Houston, we go to New Orleans, we go to Vegas, we together. And we, we displayed that same mindset on the football field. That's what people, I don't understand, like right now, a lot of teams, you know, when you see guys, you don't see a bunch of guys together. You know, I don't understand that. This is a special time where you only get to, get to experience once in your lifetime. You got to create memories, not just on the football field, but off the football field. And I can tell you this much. We got a book of memories, man, that can 
that, that is as long as toilet paper, a new roll of toilet paper. That's how long our memories is. And I'm sure experiencing that together too is so much better than if you didn't have some of those memories off the field because it creates a family atmosphere. I no doubt. You know, for me, I just learned from the veteran guys and, I, and, and guys like I, Shay and Troy and, and C. Hope and Peasy and Footman. I just learned from all those guys. Like I said, I was a rookie. So, you know, how those guys used to operate in the weight room, I was learning. I was watching. How those guys used to operate during practice, I was watching. How them guys used to operate when we hung out, I was watching. How they used to handle and maneuver their financials, I was watching. You know what I mean? Because for me, I felt like these boys had already set the standard because they learned from other great guys that put on a steel uniform. So I needed to do the same thing. And I think that's where we kind of saw a gap when it came to the consistency and success. The leadership, the leadership roles that we had on our team where guys learn after guys, it, it kind of got displaced at some point in time, I think. And for us, that was huge. That was imperative to our success. You know what I mean? The highest world of the world. You know, Jerome Bettis, being able to show Willie Fast, Willie Parker the ropes, learning from Willie Parker, learning from Deuce Staley and Deron Hayes and Jerome Bettis. You know, you got Ike who comes into the game. He learns from the Shade Townsend. With, with Chad Scott, guys like that, you know what I mean? And I come up and I learn from the Shade and learn from Ike. You look at Troy, you look at some of the guys he was able to mentor. And look at the linebacker. Look at, you know, Peasy. Look who Peasy learned from, you know. And look who Peasy taught. Clark Hagans and Clark learned from Clark. And then, and then you got Whitley and then you got Timmons who learned from Ferry and Foot. Man, you got Ham. You got Aaron Smith. Look who Aaron, look who Aaron Smith taught. You know, guys like and in his career, Cam Hayward and people like that. So at some point in time, that kind of got displaced, I think, when you look at the organization. Hey, Ike, you ever told Mark the story of how Troy first met? Oh, I, I'm well aware of this story in the hotel room doing <laughs> sit-ups. It's incredible. <laughs> incredible. <laughs> All Troy came in to see is ass and elbows. <laughs> hey, Mark, I told you the guy's infatuated with his ass, man. He got, got tattoos on his ass. I don't understand that. Brian, both your cousins, Walter McFadden and Patrick Peterson, also either have played or play in the NFL. What's it like to have family in the league? It's a big moment. I mean, it's a big experience. And for me, it was kind of like, uh, you know, seeing my little brothers, you know, kind of follow my fo footsteps. I mean, being the older, you know, family member, both guys watching me. And the thing is too, Mark, we all played cornerback. That's the thing. You know, I grew up playing cornerback and those guys grew up playing cornerback watching me. And uh, not just making it to the NFL, but, you know, being able to go play college football somewhere. You know, they both got a free uh, a scholarship to go play at their desired choice. And Walter, you know, played at Auburn, had a lot of success, got drafted by the Oakland Raiders. You know, Pat played at LSU. We all know about his success. He's still currently playing lights out, you know, for the Arizona Cardinals. So it's a surreal moment. You know, we still talk about it to this day, you know, having three family members play the same position and all play college football and all get drafted. And Walt had a short stint in Pittsburgh, you know, Pat, and it's crazy how the universe works sometimes, you know, I play in Pittsburgh, Walt played in Pittsburgh briefly. I go out to Arizona. While I was out of Arizona, Pat used to visit me all the time. He ended up, he ended up getting drafted by the Arizona Cardinals. 
And both guys used to train with me in Orlando. You know, when I used to work out with Ike and the rest of my teammates in Orlando. And uh, I remember a funny story. And when Pat was maybe like a 10th, 11th grade in high school, and uh, it was me, Ike, a whole bunch of DBs. And uh, I remember Ricardo Copley was there. And, you know, Ricardo was a fast guy. A lot of people didn't know how fast Pat was at that time. And I remember, you know, I just kind of, I used to be a little amplifier at times. I used to get things started. And I politely had a challenge between Ricardo and Pat. And at the time, like, I, think, I think Pat was a sophomore or junior in high school. And Ricardo was like a 4-3 guy, if I'm not mistaken. And the challenge basically ended up being a race between Pat and Ricardo. And at that time, Pat beat Ricardo. And that's when them boys realized, like, Mac, your cousin might be something special. What set Pat Pete apart was, Mark, he got a frame built like LeBron, like a shorter version, like 6'2", 2'10", but his frame was big. If you didn't know the better, you thought he played safety. But then when you saw him run and was agile, you're like, damn, this dude really in his 10th grade? Like, for real? It was like, yeah, that's my, my little cousin. You're like, damn, but you, other one walk here too. How many of y'all got down the bloodline? You know, Mac, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Mac, yeah, yeah. But when you saw, uh, when you saw Pat Peak Bill, but it was more of his work as a kid in high school. When he was working with the big dogs and was out working the big dogs, and we had something called, Gator ball, who was playing seven, who was playing seven on seven before seven on seven. And you see him play receiver and corner. Like, dang, like, okay, hold up. So he's real good at playing corner. He probably even a better receiver. Yeah. Damn, last time I checked somebody like that, that was Charles Wilson. That was the last time somebody did that. So, and that's how I looked at Pat P at a young age, but. Yeah, B-Mac, right, having three guys in that family bloodline at the same position, at the same position in the NFL is rare. You know, not too many, not too many families can say three. The Watts, they got three. If you look at our linebackers now from Pittsburgh, they even got three. The Edmonds family, they got three. They say young, they got a young Peyton man that go to Newman right now. They got a young man, that might be three. So, but I'm only naming a few people. Usually it's father, son. It's not really what the McFaddens, the Mannings, and the Watts are doing, and the Edmonds are doing. Like, it's, that's, that's rare. So that's a good bloodline they got. But we saw how special Pat Pete was when he was a sophomore in high school. As we start to wrap up here with Bryant McFadden, I, I want to step out of the way and give you the floor to ask your former teammate anything you'd like to. No, uh, Matt, best memory – Best memory as a player for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Shoot, the best memory for me, you know, uh, you know there's quite a few. And, and you know, I, we won two championships together, but I think the first one is always the most memorable one. Uh, and I think as an individual, the best moment for me when I kind of like earned my stripes with you guys was in the second round against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, we all know the story. You know, we, we dominated that ball game. That was the second time we played the coach. The first time we played on Monday night, he blew us out. We played him in the second round. And at that time, that coach team was the favorites to win it all. I think that might have been the best team that Peyton Manning was a part of that did win the championship with his offense and the defense they had. But uh, 
we all know the story. Ben is, you know, JB fumble. Ben, a, a, a franchise changing like tackle, arguably the most important tackle in franchise history, in my opinion. We look at what he was up against in being a quarterback, and then uh, we going on the football field, and you talking trash on the side to the fans, cussing them out, and then we all hear fans going crazy. And we saw the fumble, and then we had to go out back on the football field to try to, you know, stand our ground. And uh, we're in the Indy Fire Zone, and uh, Peyton hit Reggie on a dig route. I make the tackle. We in another fire zone, which is basically man to man for us. And instantly, I felt like I was on the football field by myself. And uh, Reggie ends up running a nine route, a go route, and Peyton took a chance. And, and for me, and like you, you know the feeling when you're in a big time moment playing one man to man coverage. You don't hear anything while the ball is in the air, and everything is going slow. And then when it gets up on you, it goes right back to normal speed. And I just didn't want to let you guys down. I felt like if I did not do what I was supposed to do, I let my teammates down and the right. franchise at that time might not have an opportunity of getting the fifth championship. So I just didn't want to let the guys down. And it felt like I didn't take one breath. I didn't breathe at all. And then the very next play, Peyton comes right back at me again and almost had an interception. And that's when I, felt, I really felt like, Mark, I was a part of the guys. I was a part of the crew. Now, granted, we had traveled throughout my entire rookie year together. You know, no no suitcases, no clothes. We shopping together, we partying together. But that those particular plays made me feel like I was a part of the guys. And the rest is history. We ended up winning that ball game. Vanajek missed the field goal. We ended up winning the championship. And I think those sequences of plays that I, I talked about with the fumble with Ben, with you know, my plays, the plays that we'll never forget. And I think as Steeler fans, they would never forget as well. And because of the championship that we won that year it was able to add to our legacy as players, add to the legacy, the, the organization legacy, and then Coach Cowher, his legacy, you know, Troy and some of the other Hall of Fames that we played against, played with. So that's one play I'll never forget. Brian, is there anything else that you want to plug in terms of your work at CBS Sports at all? I've, I've watched some of your commentary uh, on your Twitter page and too, and one thing we always do on the Believe in Steelers podcast is we always plug in the social in media information for both Ike and I, but also our guests too. Is there anything you want to plug at all? Uh, just what you guys already mentioned, you know, some the, the work that I do for CBS Sports HQ. And then, uh, you know, also I'm very, very active in social media, Instagram. My social media handle name is BMAC underscore sports talk. Same with Facebook and Twitter. I uh, just honor to be on with you guys, man. I, it's like a brother to me, man. So, you know, I'm always following the things he's been doing. It took y'all long enough to give me an invitation. I'm trying to figure out how y'all invite <laughs> TC on before y'all invite me on. I still feel some type of way about that. TC hey, didn't play corner. I, you know TC played safety. He's what right. got me on before TC. Hey, you know, you know, it took TC about eighty minutes to download that Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that, I had, I had, I had to get him two weeks in advance because, you know, TC man, he don't He thought I was trying to set him up. He thought I was a people. <laughs> Any of the listeners want to listen to the interview with Tyrone Carter? You can. Find the Believe in yeah. Steelers podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. You but slow sometimes. You know that. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he had some problems. We use uh, Zoom. It's a teleconferencing uh, system that allows us to all connect and record this podcast. But that, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Hey, I was, Mark, you got, oh, he still uses like a flip phone. Mark, you got any uh, shout outs we need to give, Mark? you want to become a presenting sponsor of the Believe in Steelers podcast, you can contact the Believe in Steelers podcast at 
believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Brian McFadden, thank you for coming on the Believe and Steelers podcast. It's always a pleasure. One of my former teammates, y'all go check him out. Uh, his Twitter feed, his Instagram feed, his Facebook feed, Brian Kittle on CBS Sports HQ. want to thank my co-host, Mark. Mark, always a pleasure every week doing it with you. Again, I um, want to thank everybody for listening. Make sure y'all rate us on the Believe in Steelers podcast. See y'all next week. Peace. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.